Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, I'm just grateful for my family. He's just great. I'm just grateful for my family. You're only allowed to use that once. Because they... What, what, you say that stuff all the time. Yeah, like, 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 oh, I'm grateful for my son, I'm grateful for my wife, I'm grateful for my granddaughter. It's well, you've like- done the family now, so that's like all of them, so you don't get to work your way through. <laughs> well, okay, well, I'm grateful for all of them because they're just great. And, um, yes, yeah, it's, you do have it's, an awesome it's my, it's my birthday tomorrow. And, well, the night before last night, we got together and had a birthday dinner. And then yesterday, I got a call and it was like, hey, Lawson, head down to the shop. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, there's a motorbike helmet there for you that we bought you. And I was like, so I was pretty stoked. And yeah, it's just like, just so good. It's not even like, I don't know. We've really moved away. So from that means like, you've got two helmets now. Yeah. Do you yeah. want one? Yeah. Do you want I, was, I, was, I was about to sing that little song. You know, I have two helmets and you have none. Oh, I'll give you a helmet. Is that a is that a song? <laughs> is that before my time? Is it like it's a song from Crater Roll? I learned it when I was two. Oh, okay. It's a song about sharing. Okay, it teaches two year olds how to share. <laughs> and what you do is you sing it in the Crater Roll class, and you have that you have the little toddler with like two toys, and then they get to share one of those with somebody who has none while they sing the song. Yeah. And then they cry. Well, I didn't learn the song, so I'm not going to share it with you. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Um, oh, listen to that. Just cold as ice. I'm not going to share with you. I'm not going to give you my spare helmet. It's just, no. Nah. Is, is that what you're not grateful for? This <laughs> no, I'm happy for you, Lawson. I'm happy you have two helmets. Uh, you might need them for, uh, you know, you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We'll move on with the show. Yes. Lawson, what's happening in the world of positively in different news? In the world news? of positively different news. Okay, I've got a couple different stories here. Well, this first one, I, this, is the first, this first one is one you'll like. So, an, a, a diver in Israel. Uh, you know, off the coast of an ancient Israeli town in the off the Carmel Coast. Uh, what'd you write, Lyle? Adam. It's not Adam. It, oh, that's a good... That's the first displaced person. Yes. <laughs> oh, the diver, though. I heard this story. This is yeah, going to be epic. Did you hear the to- story? Yes, yeah, tell me so about he's, it. like, diving, you know, just having a look around. As you do. And all, all of a sudden, he comes across a 900-year-old ancient crusader sword that's cool which is awesome and they pull it out and it is covered in barnacles and marine life and all this stuff and how does it even survive in the ocean that long well this is the thing it's like they're like oh well it's got to be iron like because they they've got the sword and i believe that they've scraped a little bit of the marine life off just to take some tests yes and it's like this big treated iron sword that was legit for Crusader people back in the day. The thing that they're currently unsure about is whether it is a is it is on the the Catholic European side or whether it is on the Muslim side. And that's because they haven't fully 
taken the thing apart yet. They haven't like really it seems to have a straight. It, it seems to have a straight hilt on it from the photos that I yeah, saw. Yeah, and so that would indicate European. European. Yeah, that's right. But apparently, does not look like a scimitar. But apparently, like because the Crusades were repeated. Like repeatedly going on. Yes, there there is like um, some history there because I was reading. I was like, isn't that just obviously a European sword? Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's it's what not I a scimitar. But apparently they don't know it because there, there is like a, a chance that um, yeah, the the well, they know for a fact that um, the Islamic people, the Muslim people who are living in Jerusalem at the yes. time, um, the Saracens, the Saracens. That's right. Um, they appropriated a, a number of the weapons that they saw. From the and copied them and copied them right from the Europeans. So uh, currently, it, it is most likely that it's a European sword. But once they fully scrub this thing off, they want it. They're like really trying to just observe it in its state at the moment. Yes, and then eventually, you know, they'll get clean. down to cleaning it and everything. Um, but yeah, then they'll find out. So that's a bit of a cliffhanger of a story right there. Then oh, they'll find wow, out whether it's, it's just European, so epically cool, European, or um, from the Muslim side of the war. But the best thing is, yeah, nine hundred years sitting in the sea. It is like, dude, the barnacles are thick. Like, if you look at this photo, like. The, the That's a massive sword, dude. It's that is huge. A, had, imagine how unbelievably strong you would have to be to be able to swing something like that in battle, dude. It's wild all day. Well, that was like if you, the scimitars, you know, were were curved and lightweight and lightweight and a lot shorter. Yes, I feel like that was the the real battle and infinitely sharper. Yeah. Like, the European swords were not necessarily sharp at all. They didn't really need to be that sharp because, because of the weight. There was just so much swinging force yes, coming yes, down. Yes, they'd so. hit with uh, a lot of foot-pounds of force. Mm. Whereas the scimitar would concentrate all of its force on a very, very sharp edge. Mm. I like the scimitar. I love Damascus steel. Yeah. Damascus steel <laughs> is just amazing. It is just spectacular to look at. Uh, for all of the knife makers out there, uh, you'll know what I mean by Damascus steel. Mm. And, of course, this was this is what the scimitars were made out of. They, these were the guys that invented Damascus steel. That's right. But currently this thing is sitting in the Israeli Antiquity Agency and they're just doing their thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, dude, if it really... Do if, they have a finders keepers kind of thing over there? Does, he get, does the guy get to keep it? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, or is it going to get like bought by like the British Museum if they think it's cool enough or something? I don't know. I guess we'll see. Maybe they oh, man. Have it would just be so epic to have. Imagine having that thing in your house. Yeah. Oh, like what you, a conversation just piece. It's like, oh, that's a cool replica. Actually, it's 900 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crusader sword. <laughs> yeah. How did you find that? Well, I was diving one day and I picked it up off the bottom of the ocean. Dude, you know what? It's going to be really cool. Like, once they scrub the thing off and if they see any, like, inscriptions or anything and they can find out who owned it. I know we don't. We, we have decent record from that time because it's 11th century, like, you know, I, I think you would know some of the people who attended, at least the leaders. But I'm like, oh, imagine if it, imagine if it was like a leader of the army sword or something that fell off the boat when they were trying to ex- escape. Imagine if that sword could tell a story, where it's been, what it's done, <laughs> who it's been used if that by. That sword had a mouth. <laughs> yeah. How boring it was being there for 900 years. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. Hey, actually, quickly. I mean, there's, there's a reason why it's on the ocean floor. Oh, totally. D- d- but what is that reason? Yeah. 
Oh, maybe it was they were trying to escape. Was it was it was it naval warfare? Was it accidentally dropped? Were mm. they trying to escape? Was it a skirmish? Was it a full blown battle that took place in that area? Did they throw the metal off the side of the boat to go faster? Was 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 the was the boat captured and so they threw the sword over overboard rather than surrendering the sword to the enemy? Um, yeah. Was it a shipwreck? Is there a shipwreck there that just just rotted and and drifted away and there's mm. nothing left but you know this artifact? Yeah, that's right. Oh, then that means it's like, dude, there's like Catholic treasure down there, bro. Well, this is the thing. I would definitely be going back there with a metal detector to uh, find out, you know, <laughs> yeah, you what would. else is do around they, here? Do they make underwater metal yes. detectors? Yes. Do they just, you just put glad wrap on a normal one? and Yes. Really? I have no idea. <laughs> no, they make underwater metal de- detectors. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely do that. Go and do some magnet fishing. Yeah. Oh. Imagine doing magnet fishing in the Middle East and pulling up something that's like, like two thousand years old. <laughs> it's like a hundred thousand gold coins that have been buried in a chest under the <laughs> sea, dude. Oh, that's intense. Anyway, oh, I was going to talk about yeah, the New South Wales public servants, but th- yeah. you know what? They're they're chilling out right now. Um, let's move on. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so uh, Rafi's texting to say the diver in Israel that found the sword, maybe the owner of the sword was a giant due to its size. (laughs) I mean, you look at the size of this thing and it's like, how would you ever swing that? Like, I feel like it's legit, like, they must have been holding a shield as well. That's my thought. Yeah, but the fact is... Because how could you deflect shots with a sword that's that heavy and big? But you'd have to have two hands to hang onto it and swing it. Yeah. Totally. I don't know. It's enormous. Um, well, and it dude, just goes maybe, to show how weak we are. Dude, the Catholics are just so buff back then, bro. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's exactly how it was. It could have been the Muslims. Who knows? We don't <laughs> know yet. Right. We will find out. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some more serious news. And this one is coming out of the Virginia state elections. Of course, they take place on November 2. And Kamala Harris has just released a video message to be played in black churches. It's a video message for black churches. Now, there's a problem with this. <laughs> it's just, just, it's just, uh, like, you didn't see me, but I just eye rolled so hard. Like, I was just like, whatever, bro. Okay. Um, and basically, this video is voting them to, uh, sorry, urging them to vote for Democrats. That's a reasonable thing for Kamala to do. And to go to the polls after church, because the polls are going to be open on Sunday. And she's saying, look, this is a great thing to do. Uh, once you finish mm. your worship service, just head down to the polls. And that's all going to be great. The interesting thing about this is that that's actually illegal because there's a thing in the United States called the Johnson Amendment. And the Johnson Amendment came in um, under Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm -hmm. And basically what it said was that if you use a church as a political organization, uh, in other words, if you preach from the pulpit uh, partisan politics, in other words, like you support one party or one candidate over another in the pulpit, then that is actually a political organisation rather than a worship service, mm-hmm. and so therefore you lose your tax-exempt status. That's right. That's what the Johnson Amendment is. Now, um, and, and this was a way of separating church and state. It was a really good thing because church and state should be separate and church should, totally. be, should be for worship. We go to church to worship. Um, and what was starting to happen at that time was that churches were starting to be used as a little bit of a tax haven. Mm. 
So if you wanted to make a political donation, then you make that donation to the church that supports that party and you get, you know, tax deductible donation to the church, but Mm. it's actually a political donation. And they're like, no, 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 this is just corrupt and we're going to get rid of it. Yeah. Now, of course, the evangelicals hated it because they kind of don't like separation of church and state. They Mm. like freedom of religion, but not separation of church and state. Democrats are the other way around. They don't like freedom of religion, but they do like separation of church and state. Mm. And so um, when Trump came to power, he made a promise to get rid of the Johnson Amendment and didn't. Oh, okay. But said he did. Well, that's... Which is typical Trump, you know. That's kind of good. Well, yeah. kind of not, because what, <laughs> what Trump did was that he removed penalties for people who violate the amendment. Okay. So the amendment is still there. It's still illegal to do this. Mm-hmm. You just don't go to jail for it anymore. Yeah. But do you lose your tax-exempt status? Well, this is an interesting question that has yet to be uh, fought out in the courts. <laughs> we, we, we would be interesting to see how that goes. But it's still illegal. And, of course, when uh, Trump did that, it was about, I think, five months into his term. It was an executive order. And the de- Democrats just lost their minds over it. You know, oh, it's re- reuniting church and state. You know, there's a terrible thing. Rightfully so, I should say. Uh, and now, after having lost their minds over Trump getting rid of the Johnson Amendment, they are in there like, ooh, there's no penalties for the Johnson Amendment. Let's go back into the churches. Let's start yeah. campaigning in the churches openly and boldly and like as if nothing has ever happened and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Why can't we just worship God? That's right. That, that is like Church the is a place. It should, be, it should be kept as a sacred place to worship God. Mm. There should not be an environment yeah. for political uh, parties to be involved. We need to have a very clear wall right. of mm. separation between church and state and we need to have a very clear mandate on religious liberty. These two things need to be held sacred because as soon as you have a union of church and state, you are going to have a loss of religious liberty. Yeah. And persecution. Happens yeah. every single time. You look at anywhere in the world where you have a union of church and state. Look at the Islamic Republic of Iran. By its very name, it is a union of church and state, and they have a loss of religious liberty. Totally. All right. Um, at the same time, while we're in America, we should just comment that Biden has just called on the Supreme Court to block the Texas heartbeat law. I find that a little bit... Um, off-putting. The president shouldn't be calling on the Supreme Court to do anything. The president should be letting the Supreme Court do their thing. Yeah, totally. The Supreme Court is supposed to be entirely independent of mm. uh, the president. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's what's happening over there. All right. Oh, this one's coming out of America as well. This is from Harvard University where they have just con- conducted a poll and they have found that 64% of social media users, so this is people who use social media, mm-hmm. uh, believe that the world would be a better place without it. Um, so oh, this was totally. a fellow by the name or a person by the name of Della Volpe who was conducting a focus group uh, among students and asked them, what would be one thing that you would change if you could? And uh, several people piped up and it gained a lot of popularity that they would change getting rid of social media. Mm. Just ditch it so they could just get on your bike and go and ride and see someone and hang out again. Mm. And so that led him to doing some research. In the 16 to 27-year age bracket, 53% of the population believe that the world would be a better place without social media. Uh, 27 and above, 68% think the world would be a better place without social media. Uh, A quarter of people uh, surveyed admitted that they were 
addicted to social media. They actually had a social media addiction. Oh, wow. And in the 16 to 27 age bracket, that was 42% of them believed that they had a social media addiction. Mm. And so then they also asked the question, well, how does social media make you feel? 34%, uh, sorry, only 34% came away feeling informed. Oh, the rest so of kind of just, low. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 21% came away feeling depressed. 21% came away feeling alone. 20% came away anxious. And 20% came away feeling like they had missed out. Mm. So pretty much depressed, angry, alone are the most common words Gen Zers associate with checking Facebook. Totally. That's, that's pretty heavy stuff. Missing out and alone are tied with informed as the three words that Gen Zers most associate with their feelings after checking Instagram. Mm. So maybe we should be giving our social media a bit of a break and if we are addicted to it, then we need to treat it like an addiction and get rid of it. Um, put some steps in place so that you just get away from the constant scrolling. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Uh, joining us on the phone this morning is Baron Newstratton to talk about, talk about the book of Genesis. Baron, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for having me, Lyle. Good morning to you. We always enjoy your segment here on the book of Genesis, and we've been working our way through. We've come to the end of Abraham's life. Um, the, really the end of his life and his final marriage is just sort of summarized in a few short verses. Um, yeah. And, and, and then we move on to the story of, obviously, uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah, correct, yeah. So we have a few short Amazing verses there where uh, it talks about uh, Abraham's last wife, Keturah, and he has yeah. a whole bunch of children there, uh, some of them which go on to become uh, significant nations and then, yes. of course, we pick up the story with Isaac. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's a marvelous story. The story of Isaac and uh, Isaac actually uh, reached the old ripe age of 118 years, which is uh, quite old compared to the others. Um, and uh, marvelous, uh, a marvelous man. Uh, also, what is very interesting is that. Um, in the course of the, uh, what shall I say, the story of uh, Jacob and Esau, you remember that he was, uh, uh, well, reportedly almost at the point of death when uh, Jacob uh, succumbed uh, to the uh, temptation of uh, making sure that he got the, the, the blessing of the firstborn. Uh, he actually still, Isaac, still lived 43 years after that, which I find quite incredible. It's a, long time to live. It. it's a long time to live without uh, your sight. That's exactly right. That's what I thought. It's quite, an, uh, you know, it's quite a liability to have, isn't it? That, that poor eyesight, if you can go by touch only 43 years, it's sort of uh, it's interesting when you read that. Mm. Yeah. Let's go back to the story of Jacob and Esau. And... These boys are twins, but they are not identical twins. What's the story with uh, the story behind their birth and who they turned out to be? Yeah, they couldn't be more different. Uh, same household, same mom and dad, uh, same schooling, if you like, if there was any, and obviously there was from the parents. And it's quite interesting. They were so totally, utterly, completely different, weren't they? Uh, yes. In, 
in so many respects, in so many respects. Yes. But the reality as far as Jewish law was concerned, about Hebrew or Semitic law was concerned, uh, Israel was the, was the oldest. Now, he wasn't oldest by very much, though. No, just by arm's length. <laughs> That's about it. That's and it correct. was almost—it was almost like they had this, uh, you know. Rebecca had this impression that they were fighting in the womb, and that yes. when they were when they were born, that they were still struggling to see who would be the first one to come out. Yeah, there was a dominance, wasn't there? So, so Jacob held on to the heel of of Peter, who then was obviously delivered first, which is very interesting. Uh, and that's where he got his name from. Yaakov in Hebrew means heel. It also means supplanting or, well, cheating, if you like. And uh, boy, how prophetic was that. Mm, indeed. And Esau has this uh, this medical condition where he is obviously um, a very hairy person. Um in fact, when Jacob, you know, in later life tries to deceive Isaac, he uses the skin of a goat to simulate yeah. Esau's hair. So Esau must have been, well, at least as hairy as a goat. Yeah, because he went by touch, wasn't he? It was a certain medical condition that he suffered from, which is in the excessive growth of hair. Already right at birth, he, uh, he suffered from that. And uh, uh, yes, uh, Rebecca very inventively uh, disguised the, uh, the her, her favourite son. And it's interesting, Lyle, that in this particular family, there was an, a favourite to the father, there was a favourite to the mother. And how dangerous that can be was demonstrated really in the story here, wasn't it? Mm, of, uh, yeah, of, the, of these two men. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, it seems the birthright, when we read the birthright and the blessing that Jacob gives, it seems to be, you know, a bunch of very nice words and something that you would definitely want to receive from your father uh, before he passes yeah. away. But for us, yeah. it's not something that you would go out and kill somebody over or some, something that you would flee into exile for for missing out on. Um, yeah. What was the big deal with the birthright? Why was it such a big issue? And, of course, then we've got right along with that, you know, we've obviously got this whole story of the birthright revolves around this bowl of yeah. lentils that uh, that Esau just, you know, sells yeah. his birthright. It's nothing like epitaph. Yeah, that's very true. Well, the reality is even Mosaic legislation provided the, uh, the extended, uh, what shall I say, uh, cultural application for the uh, for the firstborn, there was a succession to the firstborn of the official authority of the father who then would pass away uh, or would be rendered in, 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 you know, no longer competent to, to rule. So the succession would go to the oldest. The, we are familiar with the inheritance that would be forthcoming, that the oldest would get a double portion of the father's property. There came with liabilities as well to, to obviously continue whatever the enterprise was that gave them a living and the older son was responsible for that. But a double portion nevertheless would go to the, uh, to, to the oldest. And again, before the priesthood of the Levitical order, 
um, the, the privilege of becoming the family priest as well. This was also important. Not to Isau, but it was important. Then there is obviously in the understanding of that purpose of being there and being, uh, you know, descendants from Abraham, that uh, through Abraham all the nations would be blessed. There is a succession to the promise of an earthly Canaan with, with other covenant blessings, but particularly, particularly the honor of being the progenitor of the promised seed. And that, that would have been very important. Absolutely, incredibly important. Now, there was a prophecy that was made at the time of these children's birth, a prophecy that seems that Jacob, uh, sorry, Isaac in his old age tried to work his way around. Tell us about that prophecy. The, 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 the prophecy, is, I'm sorry. Well, the prophecy, there was a prophecy made when they were born, you know, that the, the, the two were uh, struggling in the womb, and that the younger, yeah. the older would serve the younger. Yeah. Correct, which is precisely what occurs. <clears throat> in fact, that was already uh, that when the Lord spoke to Rebecca, that in verse 23 of the 26th chapter, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when you when you look down the ages, down the what shall I say, down the, the history, that's exactly what happened. The successing the the uh, Esau was the progenitor of the Edomites, and you've heard of the Edomites, right? Throughout the Old Testament, Edomites were very hostile by and large to the to the Israelites, even though they were related, of course, but. Um, they uh, often, the Edomites often would side with the enemies of Israel. Uh, they were very antagonistic, but they were normally dominated by the Israelites, particularly under King David, who really put them in their place there for quite a while. And it wasn't until uh, 126 BC when uh, one of the Asmonean uh, Jewish rulers, uh, John Hertanus, totally subjugated them and forced them into circumcision and into adopting all Jewish, what shall I say, prescribed uh, forms of worship in that particular year, and then they just almost disappeared from history. It's a fascinating history, and you kind of wonder, you know, what would have happened if Jacob, if sorry, if Isaac had had his way and had been able to circumvent the... Yes. the prophecy, and had passed the priesthood to Esau, you know, because Esau goes off to cease to be a worshipper of God. He marries multiple wives. Well, I guess yes. a lot of them were doing that at the time, but um, yeah. but he ceases to be a worshipper of God. And if the birthright, if the priesthood had passed to Esau, then, of course, there was the danger of, of the knowledge of God effectively being lost. I would think that personally that God would have intervened at the right time and maybe just in time for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, that is the faith that he, uh, Jacob should have exercised and Rebecca as well. They were both complicit in the deceit. Uh, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, it doesn't pay to uh, walk in front of God. You just gotta, you just gotta accept. That that's, uh, God will, will intervene and, and has, is in control. But uh, the faith was lacking on the part of Rebecca and, and Jacob. 
Yes, I, you know, God's purposes are worked out in this situation in the long run, but I uh, am pretty certain that this was not how God planned for it to take place. I'm pretty certain that no. God did not, you know, because I, I see Isaac is, to begin with, Isaac is disobedient. He's been told that the younger will serve the older, but, you know, he prefers the older. Yeah. He preserves Esau. I mean, Esau is a man's man. He's Correct. a warrior. He's a hunter. Um, he's a leader. He becomes a great chieftain. Um, yeah. You can kind of see why yeah. Isaac leans that direction. Yeah, it, it, it is uh, fascinating. I mean, there was enough uh, uh, life uh, lived by both boys to know the difference, which one would be more suitable. The interesting thing is, uh, Lyle, is that when you look at the uh, the flight of, of Jacob uh, fairly straight after that uh, that episode, that uh, Jacob was actually 77 years old. Both boys were 77 years old at the time when that occurred. And uh, he had to run for his life at that age. Now you'd think that it would be ample uh, lifespan to evaluate who would be the suitable one to, say, as you say, carry on the priesthood. Yes, and, you know, 77 years of age, you can't imagine uh, becoming a refugee at that particular, you know, at that age. And yet we find that Jacob, even at that age, he's still not yet married, doesn't have children. No, he's not. Correct. We don't, we, Again, don't, we don't really know when Esau married and had have children, do we? Uh, no, Esau married when he was 40 years of age. So there again, okay. that had been 37 years of, of, of obviously. Uh, the Bible doesn't really record when its uh, children were born. It gives very little information. But uh, we know that Jacob uh, had been a bachelor all the time. He had been... Well, you could say a mommy's boy. Uh, he certainly was mom's favorite. And uh, uh, he had certainly not married. And uh, the, by the time he goes to Haram, which is up north, to visit the, the family, of course, at the advice of Rebecca, when he gets there, uh, he meets, as we know, Rachel, and he takes a particular liking to her and is willing to work for seven years for her. And uh, so you bear that in mind. He was... Um, 84 by the time uh, that he started to make children, make babies, if you like. Mm. Quite, quite extraordinary. Yes, it's hard for us, you know, with our short lifespans to imagine starting a family at the age of 84 and then, then going on to have uh, have 12 children after the age of 84. It, yeah, uh, yeah. It's quite a staggering thought, but that's what actually happened. It wouldn't be considered middle age, in fact, or advanced middle age, because Jacob died at the age of 147. Uh, so he was uh, well and uh, truly about, uh, well, more than halfway, 60% of, of, of his lifespan. Mm. Mm. Fascinating story. Fascinating story, Baron. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, to talk about it this morning. We're going to have to uh, pick the story up again next week, where we talk about you know Jacob's exile and uh, how he uh, yeah gets married, and this you know the, the drama just continues. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.